Well, greetings, everybody. Welcome to Between Meals, your source for midweek Bible studies. My name is Pastor George Gray. I'm your host. Here is where we build our faith on biblical authority. Um, so a few weeks ago, I had mentioned to you that I was going to be dealing with the uh, growing trend of progressive Christianity within the church, and we are going to be starting that conversation today. Um, now, the thing about moves like progressive Christianity is that they never just happen. Um, they, they've they been around for a long time. The, uh, we pretty much understand how moves like this happen. You can look back over the, over the millennia and see different moves like this coming up from within the church, the types of problems they, they, they create and how we deal with them. Um, and that's this is how I want to approach this. Dealing with individual issues is great, um, and that, can, that has its own value. But with this type of movement, we really need to understand where it came from, who are the major players, where their fundamental theology is and how to deal with it so that we can help other people avoid the pitfall of this type of thinking. So, like I said, moves like this don't just pop out of holes in the walls. Um, they always begin basically the same way. They begin with really small ideas, typically bad foundational theology that's not taken seriously or not even noticed sometimes, uh, and it's allowed to kind of grow in dark places. And by the time it reaches enough people where it begins causing a problem, um, it's usually too late to just stop it cold because other people have gotten a hold of it and it's starting to spread like a virus. Um, so we we need to be able to understand these things and recognize these things at very early stages. One of the main architects here is a man named Richard Rohr, and if you aren't familiar with Richard Rohr, he has been around for for quite a while, a number of decades, but it's only in the last five or ten years that he's really gotten to a level of of significant popularity within what I'm going to call the Orthodox Historic Christian Church. Uh, He's really begun to make headways and actually pulling people away from the church. Um, Now, his most most recent book, The Universal Christ, has just exploded across um, across the historic Christian church, and it is really heretical. And the, the the thing that I'm having a hard time with is how many people are reading his 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 teachings and thinking, "Wow, what an amazing guy! What an inspired guy!" And they're actually not recognizing the danger and, and the outright lies of what he is teaching. It really is fundamentally horrible and really fundamental heresy. Um, now, the problem is his teachings started many many years ago with one man, a crazy idea, and a crazy idea that no one really took seriously. This is how movements like this start. Now, my personal feeling is in the Protestant church, this was never really taken seriously because he's Catholic. So the mainstream Protestant denominations basically kind of ignored him because it was somebody else's problem. We didn't want to deal with it. And now, today, ironically, he is one of the leading voices pulling people out of the historic Orthodox Christian church into the progressive movement. You may have heard about one of the former members of DC Talk who has left the Orthodox historic Christian church um, and has moved into progressive Christianity. Um, He actually says in uh, in a recent tweet that he was deconstructing, and he is now a believer in the universal Christ. Um, And this, this movement that probably could have been stopped a few decades ago was left to grow in the dark and now all of a sudden it has it is just this pervasive virus within the church and it really is doing a lot of damage but i think one of the most interesting things about it is it's also 
really magnifying and showing the level of biblical ignorance within the historic Orthodox Christian Church. Uh, the Protestant denominations are really showing how much of the Bible they don't know because they're being led astray by a set of teachings that is so obviously heretical. Anyone should be able to see it, but we don't because maybe in our hearts we like the way that it's working. But these are how things like this like this grow. Uh, another good example of this is the Enneagram, which is one of the things that Richard Rohr actually promotes and teaches as well. If you're not familiar with this, this is something that has been around for roughly about 100 years, but it really has only hit the mainstream about 20, 30 years ago. Um, it started in uh, roughly the 1960s when a man called Claudio, uh, Claudio Naranjo, um, and, uh, it's, but it can be traced all the way back to the early 1900s. People are grab a hold, grabbing a hold of this in, in waves that is just hard to understand. It has landed into the Christian church, and churches are eating this thing up. The problem is, this is another one of those things that grew out of small ideas, and by the time you recognized the danger, it was too late, it had a hold of you. The, but this is the problem. Anyone in the church that spends 10 minutes online— 10 minutes looking into the actual origins of the Enneagram, what you'll find out is that the roots are absolutely pagan. It's grounded in modern New Age spiritualism. It is actually anti-Christian, uh, and it's actually, it was, it was created through demonic influence. The guy who actually put it out actually admits that all of the information that he puts in what what are called the enneotypes, which again we'll get into in the weeks to come, came from a process called automatic writing. Automatic writing is the process where you allow a demonic spirit into you to write through your body. That might sound a little weird to you, but we'll get into it as we get going down the road. This is a completely pagan thing. But because someone threw the term Christian in front of the name, churches are eating it up. And it, it's, it's just, it's amazing to see these kinds of things happening. But this is the pervasive nature of the progressive Christian movement, where it becomes all about me. And these movements are, are starting to gain so much popularity that there's a lot of people in church who actually don't know what to do with it or how to deal with it. So we're going to, like I said, we're going to be dealing with all these things in the coming weeks, but I, I don't want to f just focus on individual topics. It's easy to just do something on Richard Rohr and his writing. It's easy to do something on different progressive t Christian topics like, you know, uh, embracing the LGBT community or the Enneagram and all these things. And that's wonderful. And they have a place. All those things have a place. There's a lot of people doing really great podcasts and, and, and YouTube videos on that. And I encourage you to go check that out. Elisa Childers is one that I very highly recommend for this particular subject. Um, um, but what I want to get into is the foundation of the issue, the foundational argument. And I want to lay a foundation that we can build on as we're going through these different arguments. So we always have something that we can come back to. Um, because uh, the idea of just calling something evil, just saying, oh, this is evil, this is demonically inspired, that's wonderful. Um, but that's, that's kind of a cop out. Saying something is evil is easy. Helping others see for themselves the ungodly nature of something is much more difficult. Ha teaching people to recognize the demonic influence in something, the, the, the ungodly influence in something is far more difficult than just calling something evil and then walking away. I don't want to go there. I want to help you learn to understand, to understand these, these issues so that you can see them coming from a much farther distance off. Um, so, the only foundation that I know that is worth building on is the foundation of the scriptures. And this is what we're going to talk about today. 
if God's word is not our foundation, if God's word is not what we're building everything that we do on, then what are we doing? What are we actually bothering to do? If we're trying to serve God and we are ignoring the word that he gave us to help us understand him, then we really have to question the efforts that we're involved with. You know, if God's word is not your only map for life and faith, then to be to put it simply, you're lost. And anyone that you're leading or that you're working with is also lost because you're completely off the map. Um, you're just wandering around in circles and going whatever direction you happen to think is right. And if we could find our way to heaven ourselves, we never would have needed Jesus. But we needed Jesus, and that's what the Word of God is for. And that's why we ad- adhere ourselves to it, because it leads us in the direction that God wants us to go. Um, so today, I want to look at what I see as the foundational issue behind all of these movements. Um, now, you might see something different, and that's fine, but this is what I have come to see as the common thread behind all of these different movements. You know, uh, the progressive Christianity, the Enneagram, the, 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 the modern embracing of New Age philosophy within the church. All of these things I see come back to the same fundamental problem, and that is the devaluing of Scripture. When you devalue Scripture— you naturally fall into these types of patterns, and it's it's important for us to be able to recognize this and to avoid it. Now, I do not think that all the people promoting this ideology are becoming some sort of evil servant of Satan. What I do think is that they're falling victim to one of humanity's most basic elements of our sin nature, and that is to look for the path of least resistance. Um, you know, it's pretty natural natural for us to try to find ways around difficult things, and if we don't have to do them, we typically don't want to do them. This is why people tend to gravitate. People who don't want to actually follow the Bible and actually do what it says tend to gravitate to teachers that allow certain things. Hey, you know, I really like this church, but I want to go over here because they let me drink, or they let me smoke, or they let me do this, or they let me dress different ways. And and so we want to go to these places that allow us to actually do kind of whatever we want, Uh, which is, it's an unfortunate reality of human nature, and it just shows how sinful and fallen we really are. Um, Now, now, there are no preachers that I know of that are more vocal about uh, letting go of biblical authority than Andy Stanley, the pastor of North Point Community Church in, uh, I believe it's Atlanta, Georgia. Um, now, Bill Johnson is a close second, but Andy Stanley is definitely the loudest voice right now when it comes to this. Now, Mr. Stanley has been a, pro- a proponent of this anti-biblical authority ideology for many, many years. But in recent years, he has become increasingly more vocal about this. Um even encouraging uh, uh, believers to what he calls unhitch their faith from the entire Old Testament. Uh, And one of his messages, he actually encourages people to not obey the Ten Commandments because, hey, that's for the Jews and it's the Ten Commandments don't apply to you. Haven't figured out where he comes up with that, but uh, that's that's what he is currently teaching. Um, Now, for those of you who may doubt this, here's a quick short video clip to help illustrate the point. Here's what they say to you and to me as a Christian. Peter, James, Paul elected to unhitch the Christian faith from their Jewish scriptures. And my friends, we must as well. Hear me say it. Here's what the Jerusalem Council was saying to the Gentiles. You are not accountable to the Ten Commandments. You're not accountable to the Jewish law. We're done with that. God has done something new. So as soon as you pull out one piece of the Bible to say, this is a myth, well, then immediately it's like, well, what else in there is myth? Mm-hmm. The foundation of our faith 
is not the scripture. The foundation of our faith is not the infallibility of the Bible. Now, as I said before, I don't believe that uh, his his ideology is grounded in a desire to do evil. I actually think he thinks he's doing the right thing. The problem is it's grounded in a very fatal flaw um, about the reliability of the text of the Bible. That's where his doubt is. He doesn't have faith in the reliability of the text of the Bible. This is a very serious thing. Now, in one of his messages, he actually says this. He says, if the Bible is the foundation of our faith, as the Bible goes, so goes our faith. Now, you might read that and go, well, yeah, of course, if our faith is grounded in the Bible, then as the Bible goes, so goes our faith. What's the problem with that? He's actually seeing this as a negative. Now, the idea basically is this. If we claim that the Bible is the source of our faith, then we will have to believe what it says about everything. Okay, now as a Christian, I got to ask the simple question, why is this an issue? Why is this even an issue? How is it an issue that I should believe what the Bible tells me? It's the Bible. It's the Word of God. It's the inspired Word of God written to us from God so that we can better understand Him. Why would I not believe everything that says? The problem is he doesn't believe that it is actually from God. He believes it is a collection of ancient documents just telling stories about God, and they may or may not be true. He believes that the bulk of the Old Testament is just a myth. Creation is a myth. The flood is a myth. Joseph is a myth. The Exodus is a myth, and on and on and on. Now, the funny thing is he wants to keep Jesus. He wants to keep the New Testament and everything that the Bible says about Jesus, but he doesn't want to have to rely himself on the that, that troublesome Old Testament because the Old Testament actually teaches about standards, about moral reasoning, about right and wrong, about righteousness and unrighteousness. It becomes very problematic for someone who wants to do things their own way. Now, in his mind, because the teachings of secular society has caused him to let go of biblical authority— he believes that the Bible could not have happened as written. The Bible could not have happened as written. He even doubts some of the some of the some of the New Testament stories and how how they how they come about. He just he just wants to toss it out and just keep what he wants. It's very convenient, you know. You get to get rid of everything that you don't like about God and faith, and you get to keep the idea of Jesus and the cross, forgiveness, and heaven. Very very convenient. Very convenient. Now, he's not the only big speaker that uh, makes claims like this. Um, as I said before, Bill Johnson is a close second. Here's a couple of clips from Bill Johnson just to help continually illustrate this point. It's theologically immoral to allow an Old Testament revelation of God's nature usurp and surpass the clear manifestation of the Father's nature as found in the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's difficult to expect the same fruit of the early church when we value a book they didn't have more than the Holy Spirit they did have. <clears throat> it's not Father, Son, and Holy Bible. All right, so now one of the more common sayings at Bethel Church in Redding, California, um, as well as in their School of Supernatural Ministry, is that you have to be willing to go off the map. Or another one is that God is bigger than his book. Um, uh, or there's there's what Jesus was teaching before, and then there's what is what what the Spirit is saying today, and and it's okay if they're different things. Um, now, all of which may sound great, but what they're doing is they're trying to open a door that allows them to do anything they want and just claim that the Spirit 
led them in that that way. It's kind of kind of convenient to have like the Holy Spirit credit card. No matter what you do, no matter how lame brain or anti anti gospel or anti uh, biblical authority it is, as long as you throw out and pull out the Holy Spirit card, you're good. That's what laying this foundation is is basically all about. This a lot of the fundamentals of this progressive Christian movement is that this is this this is the trump card. This is, you know, they're where they are because they're more spiritually mature than everybody else. There's people that follow the Bible and that's great, but they're still spiritually adolescent. And if you're more spiritually mature, then you become where they are. Very convenient to be able to say that. Uh, unfortunately, the Bible doesn't agree with them. Now, what this allows them to do um, is to embrace anything that the Scripture declares sin, uh, because all, all all that sin talk was Old Testament stuff, right? So lifestyles that are ungodly, lifestyle choices that are ungodly, actions and things that we we know we should not be doing um, that are that are condemned as sin by God. We can embrace those now because you know, hey. Hey, God's doing something new today, right? Uh, and that Old Testament thing, that's just a collection of myths. No big deal. And today we live under grace. Now, some of these people even teach that the Bible is just a, like I said, just a collection of old writings, uh, and that the only true way to serve God, and this is important to understand, the only true way to serve God today is to follow the Spirit within, okay? Uh, not some old book. It's important that we know that the Spirit within, see, we, we, we've been made alive by the Spirit, now we have the Spirit of God in us, which we do, but the basic teaching there is that the Spirit, the, the, the voice of the Spirit in you should be louder than the voice of the Word. So the Spirit trumps the written Word. It's a very dangerous theology. Now, um, uh, uh, let, let's see. I had a, had a friend send me something um, from that they found on Facebook a little while ago that I decided to incorporate into all this. And basically it says this. Um, so uh, this person posted, uh, the word of God speaks from within. If a book is your highest authority, now listen to this carefully. If your book is, a high, is your highest authority, then you don't have faith. You have idolatry. Oh, that sounds deep, doesn't it? Uh, and they go on to say, the Bible is not the word. Think about this. The Bible is not the Word. The Word became the Word became flesh and dwells among us is Christ. So the Bible is not the Word. The Word is Christ. Okay. Um, now the question is, where did you get this idea? Where did you get this idea that the the Word of God speaks from within, and that the the book, the text of the Bible, should not be our absolute authority? That somehow the voice within trumps everything else. Where where do we get this idea? So let's take a look at some of the glaring issues here, because there's quite a few of them. So if the Word of God that's, that speaks from within, because the Word of God does speak from within, then what this person is saying is that whatever the Holy Spirit, whatever they believe the Holy Spirit is saying to them, even if it is against the written Word, that the value of the voice within is over the value of the written Word. That's what they're saying. That the value of the spirit that's within is more valuable, more important, more true, more right, more righteous, more good, more godly than adherence to the written word. So if the spirit within tells you to do something that is in violation to the written word, you follow the voice from within. And this becomes very, very problematic because scripture itself tells us not to listen to every spirit, doesn't it? But to test the spirits to make sure that they are from God, because not every spirit, not every voice from within is from God. Now, how do we do this? How do we test the spirit? Um, in, uh, according to First uh, First John four one, the the spirit from God will confess that Christ has come in the flesh. 
Now, how in the world is this helpful? This is this is almost kind of crazy. Um, any evil spirit can tell you that, yep, Jesus really came in the flesh. Now go and do this. Uh, so we've got to take a look at this just a little bit, little bit differently. Now, is there any place in Scripture where we can understand what this really means? Right, what this really means. So what does it really mean to confess Christ? What does it mean for the voice of the Spirit within to confess Christ? And I think Jesus actually answers this question in, uh, in, for, for us in Luke chapter 24, verses 25 and 27. This is Jesus on the road to Emmaus with the disciples, starting in verse 25. It says this, it says, Then he said to them, O foolish ones uh, and, uh, uh, and slow of heart to believe. And listen, and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. So he's going back to the written word. O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Now listen to this next part in verse 27. It says, And beginning at Moses, which means all the way back to Genesis, and the prophets, he meaning Christ speaking to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, expounded, which means taught from, expounded to them in all the scriptures, scriptures, the written word, the things concerning himself. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Jesus gave us the understanding of what it means for a spirit to confess that Christ came in the flesh. That spirit is never, ever, ever going to be out of line with the word of God because the, 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 the scriptures testify to Christ. If Christ is the word made flesh, then the word is going to testify to Christ. If Christ is the Word made flesh, it does not mean that the Word itself is no longer our authority. It means that because Jesus has returned to glory and is at the right hand of God, that the written Word that was left for us is more of an authority. It should have more of a say in our life. We should be adhering ourselves more to it. The value of the written Word did not diminish with Christ. It increased with Christ. Because now we have the beginning and the end. If Christ goes all the way back to Moses and through the prophets to help the disciples know these are the things that testify of me, we would be morons to not do the same thing ourselves, to search the scriptures, to find the places where the scriptures themselves testify to Christ. To say that they're no longer of value is beyond idiotic. It's actually just dishonest. It's more than it's more than bad theology. To say that devotion to the word of God as our soul of soul authority is not faith but idolatry is someone who actually doesn't understand what idolatry is. Uh, and honestly, it's it's like I said, it's it's beyond bad theology. It's just simply dishonest. It's someone who doesn't know what they're talking about and should probably stop. Now, when you have that view, what you're actually doing and this is important to understand because this is a huge piece of the progressive Christian movement. When you have that view, what you are actually doing is you are valuing yourself, your own view, above the teaching of scriptures. You are putting yourself above Christ. That is not faith. That is not humility. 
That is what's called hubris. You are putting yourself in an elevated place that does not belong to you. We are supposed to come under, which means be in submission to. What are we supposed to be in submission to? The written word of God. The authority of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We do this by connecting ourselves to the written word of God. That has got to be the main authority in our life. If the word of God is not the main authority in our lives, then we are our own authority. And at that point, we might as well just throw our faith out the window. Because the only thing we're good for is getting ourselves in trouble. Now, that particular statement, the one I was gave it to you before, it actually reminds me of the clip that I just showed you about Bill Johnson. Um, I don't remember uh, if you remember him saying this, that it's theologically immoral to allow an Old Testament revelation of God's nature usurp and surpass the clear manifestation of the Father's nature as found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, both of these examples are the kind of one-liner theology uh, that you see in a lot of the church today. We love little sound bites. You know, we love little tweets. We love little things that we can drop out in 160 characters or less um, because it makes us feel good about ourselves, you know. Uh, And it's also sad because both of these statements— make the same fundamental mistake. And it is a fundamental mistake. Um, the mistake is that they believe, pay, please pay attention to this, they believe that there is a difference between God and his word. They believe there is a difference between Christ and the Bible. They believe that there's the God of then, and then there's the spirit of today. And they could not be more wrong. It is a huge, huge error. They view the idea of what was morally right and righteous in the Old Testament, that these things have changed and are somehow different today. Once Jesus rose from the grave, everything suddenly became different. Here's the problem with that. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 13. It says, Jesus Christ is the same, please pay attention to this, yesterday, today and forever. How about Malachi 3.6? For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Now think about this. If Christ is the same yesterday, what are we talking about with yesterday? Now, this is being written during New Testament times. So the yesterday that they are referring to is the pre-incarnate Christ, Christ before the birth. Christ in the Old Testament going all the way back to Genesis because he was there. Christ is the same then. He's the same today. And for them, that would have been New Testament times. And forever, that's us. So the Christ that is with us today was the same Christ that was during New Testament times. And it was the same Christ that was all through the Old Testament. Just as Jesus was talking to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, if you go all the way back to the writings of Moses, through the prophets, looking at the scriptures concerning himself, he was always there. He's the same Christ. There's no difference between the Jesus who walked the earth and the Jesus we read about on the page. No different. Think about this. Here's a question to ask yourself. Is it possible... Is it even remotely possible for an Old Testament example of God to be different from a New Testament example of Christ? Now, here's the reality. If you find an Old Testament example of God that is different from a New Testament example of Christ, you are wrong on one or one, at least one side of that equation. 
You either don't understand what was going on in the Old Testament or you don't understand what was going on in the New Testament because God cannot contradict himself. He cannot change. He cannot declare something righteous today that he declared unrighteous yesterday. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. He is the exact same God who created us in the garden that he is today. There is no difference between them. Can Jesus contradict God? No. If you find a place where you think Jesus is contradicting God, you're lacking in understanding somewhere. Jesus and God will always be on the same page. The person of Jesus will always match the, 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 pers- the person of Jesus in the flesh will always match the person of Jesus on the page. The character and nature of God in the Old Testament is going to match the character and nature of God in person. There is no difference. But to the biblically untrained, these types of one-liner theology, they can be very seductive because they sound good enough to be true, even though they're completely false and just filled with lies from one end to the other. Now, we will be getting into the details of these statements and many more just like them because I have a boatload of them um, in the coming weeks. But for today, what I want to do is I want to go back to something that Andy Stanley said that we looked at just a few minutes ago. And that is, if the Bible is the foundation of our faith, then as the Bible goes, so our faith goes. So again, I'm trying to figure out where the problem is here. Uh, Why is this idea so difficult, right? If the God-inspired, God-breathed, inerrant, timeless word of God to mankind that outlines in every detail, every aspect of our faith from its origins to the end of days— If that word teaches something to be moral or immoral, righteous or unrighteous, if it outlines the parameters of our faith, then yes, as followers of Christ, we should believe it, regardless of what secular society says. I don't need modern archaeology to agree with biblical theology. I don't need modern science to agree with the creation account. I expect them to disagree because modern ideology is adamantly against the idea of a creator God. They'll do anything they can to try to discredit that. I don't have a problem with that. I don't need them to agree with Scripture. I need to agree with Scripture. That's what needs to happen. As believers, we have a very, very serious choice that we have to make, and that choice is, do we believe, please understand this question, do we believe that the Bible is what it claims to be? Is the Bible what it claims to be, and do we believe that? So let me explain what I mean by this. Here's, here's, here's some scriptures. I hope you're, hope you're taking notes and following along. So 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. All what? All scripture. Scripture is the written word. Okay? All scripture is given by God by inspiration of God. So it's not, it's, it's not just the written word. It is, it, all scripture is given by God and is profitable for doctrine, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped 
for every good work. So scripture has multiple values to us. Part of it is so that we can be complete in our thinking, in our understanding, in our doctrine, equipped. Scripture equips us. I don't know if you realize this, but the voice within you does not equip you. The voice within you is going to agree with you because it's typically your voice. It's the scripture that examines us, that opens our eyes to these things, that we may be equipped, prepared for every good work. But it's the scriptures. Now, here's a question. Could Paul possibly be talking about the person of Jesus here? Could could, could that be happening? Uh, no, he couldn't be. The only thing he could possibly be talking about is the written word of God, period. How about Roman, how about this? Romans 15, 3 and 4 says, for even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, okay, let's go back to that again. As it is written, the reproach, the reproaches of those who reproach you fall on me. For whatever, please listen, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. Is it possible that this is referring to the person of Christ? No, it is referring to what was written, what is on the page. Romans ten seventeen. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Again, talking about the scriptures. It's not talking about the person of Christ. It's talking about the scriptures. Now, is Jesus the word made flesh? Of course he is. Everything about Jesus is the embodiment of the truth of God's written word. They're synonymous with one another. So if you learn the written word, then you learn to understand Christ. But if you refuse to learn the word, you'll never understand Christ. You'll only understand your own desires. Hebrews 4, 12 for the word of God, we're back to the written word, the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and the joints and the marrow and uh, a discerner of thoughts and the intents of the heart. Still not talking about the person of Jesus. Still talking about the written word of God. And that written word is alive and active. It actually examines you. When we read the word of God, when we read the Bible, that word, we're not just examining the word. That word is examining us. That word is examining us because it's alive. And you all, if you, if you read your Bible at all, you understand this, that as you're reading, it cuts. You read something and you realize, ah, oh, this is where I failed God. This is where I've actually gone off the rails. This is where I've made my mistakes. Lord, I repent. Lord, I repent. I come back to you. I submit myself to you because I am learning through my studies of the written word of God where the scriptures reveal Christ. Matthew 4, 4. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. Please listen but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What is it that was written? What was written were the words that proceeded from the mouth of God. We're all back to the scriptures. This is Jesus 
not talking about himself. Jesus is talking about and validating the written word of God, the scriptures. Jesus is validating the scriptures as the word of God. He's doing it here. We read the passage in Emmaus where Jesus is doing the same thing, where Jesus is validating the scriptures as they speak about him. Now, this one is one of my favorite scriptures regarding this particular topic, and I want you to think about this carefully. Now, there's a lot of people out there who like the New, like the New Testament, but they don't want to listen to anything written by Paul because they don't, they don't like Paul. They think Paul missed it. I think it's because Paul actually sounds a lot like the Old Testament talking about uh, how to live, how to walk, what's right, you know, righteous, unrighteous, moral, uh, immoral. Paul kind of gets in your face. People don't like that. This is, <laughs> this is Peter's response to to that um in second uh, peter three fourteen through 18 reads like this it says therefore beloved looking forward to these things be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless okay so how do you know if you're without spot and blameless we'll get to that in a second it says and consider that the long suffering of our lord is salvation also our beloved brother paul please listen according to the wisdom given to him has written to you. Also, our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to them, to him, has written to you. As also in all his epistles, his epistles, meaning these are now scripture, speaking in them of these things, in which some, uh, some things, uh, in which are some things hard to understand, which Listen to this, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of the scriptures. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Do I even need to go on? Do I even need to go on? If I'm not mistaken, multiple thousands of times throughout Scripture, and I just I just went through the New Testament. I didn't even bother getting into the Old Testament. Multiple, multiple, multiple times the Bible refers to itself as the Word of God. The Bible gives us the confidence and the understanding to believe and have faith that it is the written word of God. It is God's literal word to us about him. Now think about this, Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20. Jesus says this. This is one of the last things Jesus says to us before he ascends to heaven. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now listen, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, here's a, here's a question I have for you. Where do we go to find the teachings that Christ gave the apostles? Where do we go to find the teachings that Christ gave his apostles, the disciples? We go to the written word because they, knowing that they were going to pass on, they weren't going to live forever, they wrote it down. They wrote down for us what Christ instructed them so that we would know what to pass on. We would know how to continue this. 
This was given to us by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It was written down by those whom God chose to be vessels to guard his word. It was preserved throughout the millennia by saints, and today it has been translated into almost every nation for every language on the planet. Yet it is still doubted in churches today. It is still doubted and still fought against by Christians within the church today. It's been this way since the first century. It's not going to change until Jesus arrives, but we need to know how to recognize it. Here is the truth. This is going to sound horribly harsh, and I apologize, but I really need you to get this. If you claim to love Christ and you do not love his word, then you do not love Christ. You love yourself. Please let me say that again. If you claim to love Christ, but not his word, then you do not love Christ. You love yourself. (sighs) If you allow the voice within to usurp the authority of the given word, then your love is for yourself. It is not for God. You have placed yourself and whatever you happen to be thinking about, above the written word of God. Because you believe that the voice within can openly contradict the written word, and it's okay because that's the voice from within. So you have no respect for the written word of God, even though the written word of God has declared itself to be from God thousands of times and proven to be correct every single time. The Spirit of God will never contradict itself. It will never change or attempt to override the authority of the written word of God. The spirit of God will never do anything. It will never give you any directive. It will never give you any uh, uh, any directions or any teachings or any informations or any revelations that you're not going to find in the written word of God. It's never going to happen. Unfortunately, what does happen is the devaluing of God's word. And the devaluing of God's word, even in the eyes of Christians, even in the eyes of people who have been face-to-face with God, is literally not only an old trick, it is the oldest trick in the book. The oldest trick in the book. The oldest... Well, let's just go to it. Genesis 3, verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. Please listen to this. He said to the woman, Did God really say? The very first attack on our relationship with God was aimed at getting us to doubt the word of God. That attack has never stopped. It has always been with us. It will continue to always be with us. The reality is that God has never changed, and the best way for us to get to know the character and nature of our unchanging, never-ending creator, savior, and judge is to read about him in the book that he wrote about himself. That is the best way to get to know the character and nature of God. It is through the written word of God. Now, I'm not devaluing the voice of the spirit within, but what I'm trying to tell you is this. If that voice of the spirit within ever in any way moves away from, contradicts, or tells you not to bother committing yourself to the written word of God, then the voice you're following 
is not the Spirit of God. The voice you're following, at best, is your own. God is never going to step out of the lines of the word he's already given us. And we know this because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the Lord. He does not change. If he gave us a directive one day, it's not going to change. Now, if you're saying something like, well, wait a second, we used to sacrifice, now we don't. Please keep in mind that Jesus did not come to change the law. He came to fulfill it. The laws of sacrifice and atonement were completed and fulfilled in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. But the standards, the moral application, the righteousness of God has always been the same from the beginning of days to today. What was sin before is still sin today. What was righteous before is still righteous today. What was immoral before is still immoral today. God doesn't change, and we need to understand that. And the best way to understand that is by getting back into his word. The easiest way for the progressive Christian movement to gain a foothold in our hearts and in our minds is by us not knowing the word of God, which takes me all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 and the oldest attack in the book, Did God Really Say? Now, the funny thing is, back in Genesis 3, Eve actually knew what God said. But the enemy began to feed doubt, began to make her believe that there was something that God was keeping from her. There was something that was valuable that God wanted for himself. And that exact that is exactly the same voice that is used by the progressive Christian movement. That is the exact same voice that is used by people who are bringing New Age and Eastern spiritualism into the church. They're trying to find something that they think has been hidden from us, that they can add to our faith. Sometimes it's actually even referred to as reclaiming lost authority. It's horrible. But that's what's continuing to happen. So... I'm going to jump out today. That's all I got for you today. Next week, we're going to be getting started into the foundations of the progression, progressive Christian music, um, progressive Christian movement. Uh, until then, don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. Lord bless you. Have a great week. See you next week.